the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Common Good. In this first hour, we are going to talk Snoop Dogg. We're going to talk Billie Eilish and all sorts of other things. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, Twitter at Common Good Talk. Get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, subscribe, rate, and review. It's Thursday, the day before Valentine's Day, and I've got nothing yet for my wife. I'm getting a little nervous. Weird that you would admit that to everybody. She knows. <laughs> uh, she expects that. She. <laughs> we need to stick with the expectations. And you know, we just went on vacation, as you know. And I, so I was like, maybe mm-hmm. we're not getting gifts this year. And she, uh, she, in passing the other day, mentioned like having gotten me a gift, and the imme- the, the pressure I felt was immediate. <laughs> so the in passing comment was intentional. Probably. Wait a minute. Was it like her? Was it like reminding you to ask Alexa about listening to our show? So I'm just igno- ignoring that one. Uh, Have you done it yet? No. So I the, don't understand. The, <laughs> literally, it's something you could do with your arms full of groceries as you enter in the house. It's the simplest of activities. That's true. Now that is, I the guilt is, is still there. It's just not. It's just not spurring me to action. It's clearly, the guilt it's is not, not spurring, spurring you to any action. <laughs> and after you described how well you do with Valentine's Day, I did have a thought the other day if maybe you could create a gift for my wife from me i already did i sent it to her yesterday yeah is that my name on it yeah i you obviously you you put hearts over your eyes right all sure it looks just like your handwriting (laughs) oh that's well valentine's day is coming up tomorrow and uh (laughs) Mm -hmm. some of you are probably feeling that pressure like me uh i don't know if you saw this story but uh, ever since kobe bryant uh his death there have been all of this reporting obviously and uh, talking about Kobe Bryant's life, and um, there has been this kind of undercurrent of a debate of is it okay and when is it okay to talk about uh, the years ago when he had the sexual assault trial in Colorado? Right. Uh, because by all accounts, Kobe Bryant really turned his life around and in the last five years became really a, quite the family guy, family man. Uh, and so with that in mind, Gail King in an interview the other day, interviewing Lisa Leslie, uh, who was a friend of Kobe Bryant's, also a basketball player, uh, brought up on two occasions the sexual assault, and and it was done in a promo for CBS that made it look like she really kind of pounded it home. Mm-hmm. And uh, of all people, Snoop Dogg got really upset about this and went online and uh, kind of threatened Gail King. Like, uh, you need to stop this or we're coming after you type of deal. Mm. And so there was this, uh, and Oprah through tears. Wow, this is like pop culture 101 right here. O- Oprah through tears saying that Gail King is having such a hard time. Well, yesterday, all of this to get to Snoop Dogg yesterday online, I believe on Instagram, uh, issued an apology to Gail King. So in a second, I want us to hear it. But then I want us to talk about uh, is, our, our apology, is, is an apology like this enough or is the damage already been done? What, How to best apologize? So let's first listen 
uh, for the first time on our show. I think it's the first time we've ever listened to Snoop Dogg. Let's listen to his apology from uh, his Instagram account. Coming at you live and direct with a message. Two wrongs don't make no right. When you're wrong, you got to fix it. So with that being said, Gail King. I publicly tore you down by coming at you in a derogatory manner based off of emotions, me being angry at questions that you asked. Um, overreacted. I should have handled it way different than that. Uh, I was raised way better than that. So I would like to apologize to you publicly for the language that I used and calling you out of your name and just being disrespectful. I didn't mean for it to be like that. I was just expressing myself for a friend that wasn't here to defend himself. Um, a lot of people look up to me and they love me and they appreciate me, so I want to let them know that. Anytime you mess up, it's okay to fix it. It's okay to man up and say that you're wrong. I apologize. Hopefully we can sit down and talk privately. Have a good day. So there was uh, Snoop Dogg talking into uh, it sounded like he was in a can for a little bit and then good and in and out of a can. I know, exactly. But uh, So I found that interesting uh, in his explanation. This, I don't know why this made me laugh. Snoop alluded to the fact that he was apologizing because his own his mom got mad at him. Hmm. And you're like, somebody like Snoop, like, <laughs> like a rapper and a really successful guy getting chastised by his mom. Uh, I don't I know why that. that made me laugh. I can see it. I, I totally can, but it made me laugh. Uh, I don't know. I'm not even thinking, like, what do you think of the apology? Except just uh, what message does that send to see people in the limelight doing this and apologizing? Uh, I found it to be really encouraging. Let me uh, first respond to one line in this article. Uh, it says, the gin and juice rapper was hit with criticism. That song is 26 years old. Like, yeah. Why is, why and, is and that? The, that's the reference. <laughs> with his mind on his money and his money on his mind. <laughs> that's, that's the coolest you've ever sounded, right? Thank now. you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm always torn on things like this because uh, I want to believe the best in people. Yep. And uh, I appreciated the general sentiment of owning up to his mistakes. And I was raised better than that and so on and so forth. There's always a little voice in my head that's like, yeah, how much of this is just a publicity yep. theatrical? Somebody in his PR team is like, hey, man, you got to tr- track that back. Um, but, I, you know, again, I want to believe the best that it was a legitimate uh, eye-opening experience. Maybe yep. his mom <laughs> slapped him around a little bit. Exactly. It's not okay. And he's like, you know what? My mom is right. So I guess it doesn't really matter as much how he came to this apology uh, I hope that it's legitimate. Mm-hmm. I hope that we see more of this, to be honest, because it feels like yeah. more and more, anytime you see two celebrities interacting, it's always like a beef. It's like, oh my gosh, did you hear about this beef? Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. you see this clap back? Oh my gosh, you watch this mic drop? And you're like, oh gosh. Well, how much free time do we all have that we just spend time yes. slamming each other on Twitter back and forth? It is nice, I guess, to see someone, a mega celebrity say, yeah. nah, that was too much. I, I screwed up. I went I I went too far. Now, obviously, it'd be better for him to have not said those things in the first place. Right. But, I think there's. I think you're highlighting the, the just the thing that stood out to me, and that is that our culture isn't one that really, even though we love to give second chances, we don't do a good job at apologizing. Yeah. And uh, um, my my wife today was telling me it was really funny because she was really surprised by it, but it it reminded me of a story I think we did yesterday. She was like, I was on this Facebook account where somebody was just like. Hey, does anybody know who I talked to? Because the plows were plowing outside our house at like two thirty in the morning, and woke up all my kids and yeah. this and that. And my wife was shocked how mean people were in the in the comebacks. Like, oh, you know, so they got to do their job, this and that. And to the point, my wife private messaged the lady was just like, "I'm sorry you had to go through that." And I'm oh, like, "Oh, really?" It reminded me of the article we looked at yesterday, 
Uh, and I bring that up to say it feels like we live in a culture, like you said, you, you, the mic drop, the clap back of like not saying ever I'm wrong, but instead being louder and louder and louder. Like a lot of our culture, you would have expected Snoop Dogg to get back on and be like, nope, round two, here I go again. And I think we need to be teaching our children particularly the value of apologizing and admitting when you're wrong um, because I don't think – uh, that's a natural. Increasingly, I don't think that's a natural thing that we um, that we feel that we do in our culture. And so, I do think uh, even for someone like Snoop Dogg to model uh, contrition and an apology that he didn't have to do. It wasn't a press conference. Uh, <laughs> oh, I know we don't have much time for this. Did you see the Houston Astros apologies today? Uh, no, it was awful. Was it? Go back and watch it. They. I'm using air quotes. They apologized for the sign stealing scandal. And it could not have been more disingenuous Uh, today. The owner was awful. The players read like 30 seconds of reading, and then they went to the clubhouse. It was all bad. Uh, Do they think that it was good? Like, Do you think they stepped away from it? Like, yeah, we nailed that. They couldn't have because in real time on Twitter, people are going like, are they serious? Oh, really? Are they serious? Like, it was just one after another. So it's sort hey, of like a professional version of, like, I'm sorry if I offended you. You're like, no, 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 no. Totally. That's not a real apology. <laughs> to the point that the owner said, uh, we would have won anyway. He said oh, things like, wow. He basically said, I don't feel like I should be held responsible for anything. We took care of the people who caused it was bad. What? No, it was bad. I got to go. We should. <laughs> but anyway, people should look at that because it's the perfect example of what our culture tends to do. Like, apology and non-apology and i at least like this that this felt like a real apology so parents out there i think teach your kids how to apologize and uh how to show contrition i think we'll be better off coming up next uh harvard research says something about christianity that most of the articles we read say the opposite that's coming up next here on the common good am 1160 hope for your life Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. I am Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us. It's Thursday already. Yeah, pretty wild. This week is moving fast. You're telling me. And uh, Thursday is like the end of your, not the end of your week, but you're so good at taking Friday off that other than the the radio show we do. But I I say, you don't know that I'm good at it. That's a good point. Your wife right now is throwing like, what? <laughs> no, my wife is not an angry person. Don't, don't you speak that into existence. Not that we've met. So. <laughs> it's true. Remember I told somebody that on Sunday. They were baffled that our wives had never met. That we've never met each other's wives. Well, you don't know that. <laughs> we, we get coffee once in a while. Oh, just you go. It's my real wife and my radio wife talking to each other. I don't like the direction that any of this is going. That was an uncomfortable title. I might keep using that. Say so. you created it. You don't have to say any of these things, Brian. It, just it stop. came out of my mouth and I went, that's uncomfortable. I could tell just from the pause in your voice, like he's about to say something inappropriate. <laughs> And yet, here you are. Oh, find us on Facebook, on Twitter. Well, why would you want to? Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. But don't if you don't want to. And we're grateful for those uh, who do listen. Uh, so an interesting thing at The Federalist, uh, talking about new Harvard research. And uh, uh, this Harvard research goes back actually just like two years or so. Uh, but it still holds it. It says this. Uh, and this is why it was a really interesting article, because it tends to go against most of the stuff we've read uh, hmm. out of the more uh, Christian world. So this says this new Harvard research says U.S. Christianity is not shrinking, but in fact, growing stronger. Huh. 
And the subtitle is, Is Church Going and Religious Adherence Really in Widespread Decline, So Much So That Conservative Believers Should Suffer Growing Anxiety? Glenn Stanton, the author, then writes, Absolutely Not. Hmm. So let me read just the very beginning, and uh, let's discuss this. Uh, He starts with a quote that says, Meanwhile, a widespread decline in churchgoing and religious affiliation had contributed to a growing anxiety among conservative believers. Statements like this are uttered, uh, with such confidence and frequency that most Americans accept them as uncontested truisms. Religious faith in America is going the way of the yellow pages and travel maps we keep hearing. It's just a matter of time until Christianity, uh, Christianity's total and happy extinction, uh, say our uh, cultural elites. Is this true? Is church going and religious adherence really in widespread decline? So much so that conservative believers should suffer growing anxiety? Two words, absolutely not. New research published late last year by scholars at Harvard University and University of uh, Indiana in Bloomington is just the latest to reveal the myth, he says. This research questioned the secular uh, secularization thesis, which holds that the United States is following most advanced industrial nations in the death of their once vibrant faith culture. Churches becoming mere landmarks, dance hall, halls, boutique hotels, museums, and all, and all that. Not only did their examination find no support for this secularization in terms of actual practice and belief, the researchers proclaim that religion continues to enjoy, quote, persistent and exceptional intensity in America. Hmm. These researchers hold our nation remains an exceptional outlier and potential counterexample to the secularization thesis. Let's stop there. Are you surprised by uh, by these findings out of Harvard and the University of Indiana? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, I feel like we, uh, you and I swim in some similar streams, and mm-hmm. we've been hearing a lot about the general decline yep. uh, of American Christianity in particular, and we've had a number of really globally-minded uh, guests on this show. I think of like Eric Metcalf and mm-hmm. Patrick O'Connell who have talked about, yeah, the, the church globally is booming all over the place, typically in places of the greatest persecution, um, but it does seem like the general narrative is like, yeah, we're we're really uh, behind the curve here in the states. Yep. So, I, again, I'm curious why why these different perceptions, like why why are we hearing so different yes. accounts, categorically than what different, we're, right, than what we're reading here. So the article continues because it tries to answer the question: what accounts for the difference in perception? How can their findings, he writes, appear so contrary to what we have been hearing from so many seemingly informed voices? Hmm. It comes down primarily to what kind of faith one is talking about. Not the belief system itself per se, but the intensity and seriousness with which people hold and practice that faith. Hmm. Mainline churches are tanking as if they have supersized millstones around their necks. That's an imagery right there. Yes, these churches are hemorrhaging members in startling numbers, but many of those folks are not leaving Christianity. They're simply going elsewhere. Because of this shifting, other very different kinds of churches are holding strong in crowds and have been for as long as such data has been collected. In some ways, they're even growing. This is what the new research has found. In fact, it says the percentage of Americans who attend church more than once a week, pray daily, and accept the Bible as wholly reliable and deeply instructive to their lives uh, has remained uh, absolutely steel-barred constant for the last 50 years right up to today. These authors describe this continuity as patently persistent. 
The percentage of people of such people also is not small. One in three American prays multiple times a day, while one in 15 do so in other countries on average. Oh, wow. Attending services more than once a week continues to be twice as high among Americans compared to the next highest attending industrial country and three times higher than the average comparable uh, nation. So, again, these feel really surprising. I don't feel like this is the data that we've been dealing with very much. And so it makes me go, which one's true is really kind of the first question I have for them. Yeah, but if it's true, what do you do with this? Like, does this incur- like, you're a pat- Yeah, our perspective is a little skewed here because we are vocational ministers. So that maybe has different value to you and I than it would the average listener. But like, what would you say should be the takeaway for someone saying, all right, well, that's true. That's encouraging, surprising, but also um, now what? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway for me, if this is true, is um, is that we don't need to take a sky is falling approach. Yeah, right. Uh, oh man, our culture is quickly going to hell, and we've got to just buckle down, kind of uh, get in our bubbles, and just kind of wait out this storm. But instead, I think it speaks to there still being, uh, according to this research. Uh, a vibrancy and a uh, an interest in in questions of the faith that people are still interested in uh, in questions of the faith in being part of faith communities to asking questions to all this and I think we can be encouraged by that as churchgoers to say okay uh, how do we take advantage of that how do we not take a sky is falling approach I think that's one takeaway for me mm-hmm. do you have any takeaways that that might look a little different from this uh, I think it's for me at least. Um... It's a reminder to do the hard research before uh, ascribing some sort of emotional perspective or some yeah. emotional landing spot to data. It, a lot of it ends up being kind of overwhelming in general because, you know, we've read from very smart people that disagree on both sides of this argument. So on one hand, I go uh, for the average church goer, the average Christian, like, does this really – are they that concerned about it? Like, well, I'm, but I'm worried about my family, my community, my church, my neighborhood. Um but I do think, though, that if you if you do buy into the narrative that, like, the world's coming after us, which, you know, we read in the Bible that to some degree, you know, there's – our battle is not against flesh and blood. To be yeah. mindful of all that. But when we assume even, like, a subtle posture of, like, constant defensiveness, mm. I just don't think that helps yeah. our – I don't think it helps our ministry. I don't think it helps our uh, testimony. It doesn't help our yeah. – like, that kind of stuff, I think, is – Important to be uh, informed about, but yeah. also mindful to keep in check. Yeah, like beca- because we know um, what stands before us, and because we've been warned by Jesus Himself that hey, you're going to have troubles, but take heart. I've overcome the yeah. world. Like, you don't have to be freaked yeah. out about this. Yeah, even if the, the you know the supposing data is completely right. Uh, either way, to not I don't know to not let it knock us around like we're just a little boat in the waves. I think that's. Uh, it's easier said than done, but it's an yes. important posture to take. Rodney Stark at the Baylor Institute for Studies of Religion uh, makes an interesting point when he says uh, uh, what is really counterintuitive, he says, uh, is that people are that more people are going to church. He said we should not confuse leaving the faith with attending church less often. Yeah, right. And I, that's obviously something for another day. But uh, interesting research. Like we said, it's just two years old, but it still holds. And uh, would be curious uh, if you're if you're surprised by this, you can find this at our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about something uh, that a Rhode Island priest did that is getting uh, a lot of attention. Coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.
Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on this Thursday afternoon. Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, podcast, everywhere, everywhere you can mm-hmm. get your podcast. Mm-hmm. Twitter, at Common Good Talk. And online, you can find our smiling faces at 1160hope.com with really white teeth in those pictures. <laughs> yeah, pretty white. One of us got photoshopped on that one. Hmm. The other one. Also got photoshopped. <laughs> that was a dad joke right there. So, I'm, I, that's that's my lane right now, man. That is my lane. I feel like we can do an entire segment just dad jokes. I don't know that anyone wants that. I do. Well, Brian, it's not all about you. <laughs> it's you half know, it's, about me. <laughs> it's half about you. What about the, the other half? Audience? About you? No, it's about the audience. The show's about, not about us. No. Okay. Oh boy, this yeah. explains a lot. <laughs> Jeez, please. First, you tell me my church isn't about me. Now my show's not about my me. My goodness. <laughs> uh, so, an interesting story out of the state of Rhode Island. Let me read some of it, and then I would just love your feedback, your thoughts on it. Rhode Island pr- uh, priest bans lawmakers from receiving communion after they supported a pro-choice bill. Uh, a long list of legislatures will not be able to receive Holy Communion at one Rhode Island parish after a priest announced that their support of abortion legislation disqualified them. Uh, WJAR, the JAR, reported on Tuesday that the Reverend Richard Bucci uh, included an insert in the Sacred Heart Church's weekly bulletin listing state lawmakers who voted for last year's bill codifying protections on abortions access on abortion access. Uh, Bucci's public rebuke was just the latest point of tension as Catholic lawmakers expressed support for access to abortion, a procedure that the church has long condemned. Uh, He wrote, in accord with the teaching of the Catholic Church for 2000 years, the following members of the legislature may not receive Holy Communion, as all are the general officers of the state of Rhode Island, as well as Rhode Island's members of Congress. It added that none of those individuals would be able to serve as godparents, witnesses to marriage, or lectures, uh, lectors at uh, church functions. And this is something we've seen at other times, right? Uh, it happened with Joe Biden. Uh, he was denied communion in South Carolina because of abortion uh, and uh, in other places. And so uh, wondering your reaction as you read that, and then maybe we'll get into... Uh, do you respect them for doing that, or does it seem like an overreach? But just uh, your initial reaction to that. Well, I think the article said it perfectly. It's it's in accordance with Catholic teaching. Yep. They've been pretty, I think, consistent in that regard. I'm I'm far from any kind of Catholic scholar, but to me, I don't think that they're doing anything that is out of character or inconsistent with mm-hmm. the doctrinal teachings of the Catholic Church. So I, I don't remember there being as many stories about this 10, 15 years ago, maybe I just wasn't paying attention, to be honest, like that. It almost like I wonder why you think this is newsworthy. It's not like the Catholic Church has changed its position about this. Mm -hmm. And now here are some of these, you know, implications. It's sort of like they're they're holding fast to the thing that they've said that they would for a while now. Um, Why do you think this is gaining so much press now? That's a great question. Um, Off the top of my head, here's what I'd say. I would say that culturally, um, especially people who aren't involved in churches, but even a lot of churches, it's we have to do all we can to break down barriers, to be welcoming, to have more people under the umbrella, to bring people They're in. They're still welcome. Agreed. But I, I think that that when uh, anybody reads an article that says, or hears a news report that says, uh, person X is not welcome to do this in the church, I think yeah. it sends up like a, 
they can even do that because we don't do that a lot in our culture with other things. And so um, like what? That's off the top of. Yeah, I knew you were going to ask me that. I'm not sure. <laughs> Let me think about that. But but that's off the top of my head. What, how would you answer that question? Because you do. That's not how I thought about it when I was reading this. Uh, why, this is why is this even newsworthy? Uh, what do you think makes this newsworthy? Because every time this happens, we see it on the news or see an article about it. I think the reason it's newsworthy is because it involves high profile people. You okay. know, I think that's probably the biggest aspect of the story. Like it's not, you know, the story would not be getting circulation. It's like r- random guy in Gary, Indiana mm-hmm. denied community because of his voting practices or his policy. You know what I mean? Like that just, that wouldn't be of interest, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm, not willing to go so far as to say like it's some sort of conspiracy smear campaign to like paint the church as negatively as possible. I don't think so. Uh, although there may be some of that, you know, like there's certainly things that um, we've seen in a number of sort of hot button issues where churches, particularly Orthodox or uh, longstanding historic churches, like, yeah, hey, we've we've held this position for a long time. Why are we just now catching heat for this? Right. Um, so I. I'm not so naive to think that there isn't the possibility of some of these more like targeted attacks. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's did you guys know that they believe this or that they do this? Uh, again, not being a Catholic scholar and not being Catholic myself, um, I would love to. It would be interesting to have a Catholic priest on the a show to talk maybe a little bit more about as to why this is such a strongly held conviction. Because I'd imagine even for some Protestant listeners. They're wondering, like, wait, why would anyone ever be denied communion? That right. just, that's not a thing that we often see in, like, Western evangelicalism. Yeah. That is a totally foreign concept for a lot of Christians. Yep. So they might be quick to judge, like, oh, yeah, man, Catholic Church being inappropriately stingy with communion yeah. when there actually, you know, is a, a very interesting theological case for the what and why of what they're doing here. Oh, that's good. Uh, Father Maury of St. Anthony Catholic Church said this, Holy, communi- Holy Communion signifies we are one with God, each other, and the church. Our actions should reflect that. Any public figure who advocates for abortion places himself or herself outside of church teaching. Uh, he said the church's catechism describes abortion as, quote, gravely contrary uh, to moral law. The Diocese of Providence reportedly responded by indicating priests held discretion over how they administered communion. They said because the church entrusts to each pastor the duty of teaching, sanctifying and governing his parish, the daily pastoral and administrative decisions are made at the local parish level. Hmm. Uh, And several lawmakers had said uh, criticized the decision. I think they were kind of taken aback. Uh, that they went to it. Like you said, I would love to talk to a Catholic priest because they, it also seems like in this quote, and I'm a little about outside of what I know, but it seemed like they, they differentiated public versus private. That yeah. These are that's public interesting. Officials. That's interesting. Like if a private person holds a belief about abortion, would, would communion be withheld from them? I don't know. I'm sure mm. there's some people listening uh, who are Catholic who could understand that a whole lot more. Yeah. What, what I also think is interesting for even maybe the Protestant that's listening who is much more of a, an open table type of practice. Yep, yep. I mean, e- even for that, you know, you go to first Corinthians, uh, what's it? 11. And he says, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Mm. That's pretty intense language. Is. That is usually, not often that present in a lot of our our Western 
Protestant or mainline evangelical churches, um, which is interesting. And I'd be curious mm. to know, like, maybe even from other pastors, like, why? Why don't we? You know, one of the things that I'll say a lot um, is that elsewhere, the Apostle Paul talks about eating and drinking as a participation in the body of Christ. Yeah. It's not just this memorial or this, although a posture of gratitude is part of it. Yeah. You know, Paul seems pretty adamant that like, no, this is a participation in something that we're actually, we're meeting Jesus in a very curious, mysterious way. And we often sort of just, it's either ah, it's, it's to remember what he did. That's all it really is. Yeah. Um, but we also have, you know, like as we're talking Catholic brothers and sisters who hold something very different. And I yeah. think, uh, I think it's a really important conversation that probably isn't happening enough. If there's one good thing that maybe from this story that we're, it will encourage more people to actually, you know, dive in deep and figure out what they believe. Yeah. We would love to get your reaction. This will be up on our Facebook page. Specifically, if you are Catholic, I would love to hear uh, your thoughts on this. You can find this again at our Facebook page, the common good radio show. That's the common good radio show coming up next. We're going to talk about an interview out of Christianity today uh, about Adam and Eve and evolution coming up next here on the common good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to the common good AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian from that music. Uh, is not only just catchy. I like watching you dance across the way here in your chair. Uh, Why, thank you. That is a well-known song by Billie Eilish. Uh, I do not know the name of the song, but I know that uh, when I listen to the radio with my kids, that song comes on often. And do your kids like it? Yeah, I think so. They've never said, change it. You know what I mean? So, who Do, do you know who like your kids' favorite artists are? My, that- it's really funny. My son, uh, out of the blue, like loves Post Malone. No kidding. Yes, he does. He calls him Posty. Posty. Him and Posty. Uh, my boy is a big fan of Old McDonald right now. So that's on repeat in my house. I think uh, we went through, <laughs> what other stage did we go through? Uh, Imagine Dragons and Imagine, not even a stage, that's still, but. That could, uh, that could be worse. I like Imagine Dragons. Yeah, I so, do too. Uh, it is funny because you go through the stage where you don't know any like. Uh, what those kids are listening to, but mm-hmm. then your kids hit that age and all of a sudden you're listening to all the music and like, you're like, oh, I know like all of the people now. And right, so, right, right. That's got to be kind of fun. I listen to Posty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> name, me, name me one Post Malone song. Oh, I don't know the names of them, but I, <laughs> if they came on the radio, I can pick him out. Oh, okay. Uh, but then, uh, but then I still make my kids listen to like Billy Joel or Bon Jovi. But that's or what you, you should. I'm going to annoy my parents or yeah. my parents. I probably did that too. Yeah. Done okay. and done. <laughs> Mission accomplished. I'm going to make them sit down. I'm, a, I'm also going to be probably like a vinyl dad. Like, oh. hey, I want you to listen to this on record. Like I just, that's, I'm going to, I can feel it coming already. I'm going to be the nerd that's like, let me, let me explain to you why the compression of a vinyl is different than my, <laughs> I know, I know I can feel it in my bones and they're going to roll their eyes and. Pop in their earbuds or whatever we're listening to in 15 years. Oh, that's what, yeah, it's just going straight in your brain. Yeah, it's, it's just even... a chip in there. Right, <laughs> right. I won't, I won't even be able to tell if they're listening to me or not. Uh, so the reason we played that song is because there was a fascinating article of Christianity Today that says Billie Eilish can help us understand teenage anxiety. So you could give us some. Uh, she's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, maybe you could give us because uh, you seem to know more of her story. Some of the background of Billie Eilish and what makes her so unique. Well, and I yeah, we won't spend a lot of time on this, mm-hmm. but she's one legitimately incredibly talented Two, She writes with her brother, who is also incredibly talented. So they're like actual songwriters, actual musicians. I'm not saying that to slam anyone else, but a lot of times, you know, when we see in like super pop stardom, 
Um, a lot of these people were sort of just created by a conglomerate machine. That's you know, right. it's honestly this is not a super popular opinion. Um, Justin Bieber is a great musician. He is, and he like writes music, mm. and he's a lyricist. And like him or not, he's super talented. So the thing that I like about Billy and to is watch that him dances. And I'm not going there. It's but, true. I believe you. Okay. <laughs> you left me on an island there. <laughs> You're like, I have to watch him dance. Like, I don't. I feel. Okay. I feel weird about this part. I'll back you no. up, Ryan. He is a very good dancer. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Apparently, I just said it in a creepy way, though. Oh, but, but you haven't seen him dance. I don't. That's not where I'm going. <laughs> Let's just pause here and watch Justin Bieber dance. But so these two, uh, not only are they incredibly talented, they're incredibly young, um, and you know they wrote and recorded this entire uh, record. In Phineas, her brother's like bedroom, like no big fancy pants studio or anything. Like, there's something, there's some like underdog sentimentality in me that's like, yes. I'd... And again, a lot of her music is really dark. Uh, a lot of the lyrics are really dark. The mm-hmm. video is really dark. If you you know, if you go and watch some of it, you'll be surprised. Even some of the more positive sounding songs, which you know, to me. Uh, harkens back to some of my punk rock days where mm-hmm. there was that was a very popular thing for these songs to sound really up and positive and then you like read the lyrics and you're like holy cow yep. this is really dark so that's probably also at play in some of my general you know and they just she just like swept the Grammys and there was a couple of things that went kind of viral of her mouthing before they announced her name please don't let it be me like yeah. there seems to be a genuineness a weird genuine humility and artistry and I don't know man I'm I'm here for it so uh, we read this her understated near mumbling voice stands out against the likes of Taylor Swift or Ariana right, Grande right Eilish's vibe endears her to young people looking for an unpretentious hero hmm. someone unwilling to play by the rules of beauty presentation or even music genre itself yeah right because all of this speaks to what teenagers perhaps need most Mm. and that is hope Mm. whether or not we're new to eyeless i'm reading from christian day here we need not look far to see that our teenagers are hurting anxiety and depression in particular on the rise dominating the ways young people talk about their generation 70 percent of teenagers in one recent study considered anxiety and depression a major problem among their generation Suicide currently is the second leading cause of death in young people ages 10 to 24, and it's estimated that two out of every three young people who experience suicidal thoughts don't ever get help. There's a lot of pain paired with a lot of silence. And so I think this article is trying to say not only is Billie Eilish tapping into something like there's a reason that that teenagers love her. Yeah. But also that we as adults can learn a lot about our teenagers by looking at Billie Eilish, her yeah. lyrics and why uh, they're going for the same way. When I was in high school, parents could probably look to Nirvana or to other grunge and understand some other kids the same way in the 60s. Parents were looking at the Beatles going, why do my kids? There's something about Billie Eilish that gives us uh, a glimpse into what's going on with teenagers in general. Well, don't you find that part of what made like Nirvana, for example, as you mentioned, Part of what so resonated with us, and you're a little older than I am, but the the idea that like it was the anti polish, exactly. it was the anti glam. Like here's some dudes with flannels, long hair, screaming about life. Like there was just something. I remember hearing it, thinking, "Oh yes, please, more, more." And that's not excusing. Yep. There's some pretty awful. 100%. He said some pretty terrible things, and yep. I'm you know I'm not saying. You know, we should we should sing these songs. But in as church. a genre, yeah. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. But as a genre, it was. I remember being a freshman in high school when "Smells Like Teen Spirit" came out. That was like the first Nirvana one to get through, hmm. and I remember it being revolutionary. Oh, just for like what sure. is this? And that started. Anytime your song starts an entire new music genre, you yeah, know, you've kind of tapped into something. That's true. But it, I mean, most of us here, I'm going to sound like the old guy, like a 42 year old. <laughs> when I hear Billie Eilish, I'm like. 
How do you like, like, it is a mumbling voice. It's not yeah. like anything you've heard. And I actually have thought to myself, why do, I have a, what this article is talking about. As a 42-year-old, I've gone, I don't hear the uh, appeal well, you, here you, at all. You should go back and watch her performance, though. The Grammys are first singing yeah. the Beatles yesterday. And it's not, it's not like that, that. mumbly. No, okay. it's just uh, her brother on piano and she sings it masterfully. But it is her like her control. That's what I'm saying. It's not just artistically excellent. The article is going on to talk about, you know, she seems unconcerned with chasing these fads or having to, you know, dress in a certain way or honestly to even smile when she's supposed to smile. Like she just in general, most photos has sort of deadpan with a little bit of cynicism sprinkled in. And I think there's something that young people have. That's an evergreen thing for young people to to resonate with. And uh, I don't know. I think. Again, like any superstar, it is a little bit of right time, right place. Yes. It just may, I'm grateful for a couple of things. One, that it, it's actually good artistry. Two, that there seems to be a genuine like humility and love of creating. And there's a, a video. I don't know where you can find it, but it's um, they asked her a series of questions like a year ago and then a year later. And they're asking, she's predicting like what she thinks she said to those questions a year prior and just seeing some of her own growth from, you know, 16, 17 to 18 and some of the ways that celebrity has changed her but also some of the stuff that she's like learning now because she's playing on these massive stages and these massive audiences and how much she likes ariana grande even she's been on record a couple times like she's really supportive of artists that are in completely different genres like it doesn't seem like this weird territorialism i don't know again a lot of it's really dark and i'm not necessarily saying absolutely just a blanket acceptance of it but there's something to me really refreshing and i think what the article is getting at is we can learn a lot about our kids by the, yes. the types of music that they're choosing to listen to. Let me read it. Brad Griffin is the person who wrote this article. Uh, let me read how he ends it because it's kind of exactly what you just said. He wrote, maybe Billie Eilish is just dark and disturbing. Maybe her music is a harbinger of something new. Perhaps she's helping crack open the door for conversations we need to have with the teenagers in our lives. Mm. Let's gather the courage to ask and to start listening. I think that was well put. So, uh, ask your kids if you got a teenager. Ask them about Billie Eilish. Uh, they're going to have opinions, or in general, just what they're listening to. Exactly. I, don't, I don't think that's a question. That's a parent, point. we don't ask enough. Like, no. hey, why? What is it about this that resonates with you? Like, I don't think it would have been an intelligent answer. But if I were, you know, to be asked when I was fourteen, like, what is it about punk music mm. that just seems to light something up in you? Like, uh, I have to think about that. Yes. But I think that that can be a really the very least, that can be a helpful yep. bridge into you know well, I'm the af- mind space of our kids. I'm afraid that my son likes Post Malone for the face tattoo, so I don't want to have the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you're, yeah, I mean, I don't think you're. Is, is, are you a big face tattoo family? Uh, no, okay. no, I can definitively <laughs> say that. So anyway, we're glad you're joining us today. You're listening to the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, Ian Simpkins here, and after we had this marriage conference with Thrivent and two other local churches, it kind of piqued my interest to learn more about this organization. We had such a good response with them at the conference, I was kind of interested in seeing what else they did, and so they actually provided me with this list of like 12 or 13 different topics that they offer free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously, and the thing that was crazy is that each of these topics were things that people in my church were actually asking me, things that I didn't really know how to talk about. And so 
they offered numerous free workshops for the people in our church to help them be wise with money and to live generously. And let me tell you, it was this really beautiful sort of no strings attached kind of a, we want to help you do this better. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with Thrivent and being really grateful for the ways that they were coming alongside us and the local churches around us. And if you're interested at all in learning more, I cannot encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about college football. We are going to talk about lockdown drills in schools uh, and how should Christians uh, react in an age of call-out culture. All of that and more coming up next on The Common Good. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us here on this Thursday afternoon. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. On Twitter, at Common Good Talk. You can find us online at 1160hope.com. And as always, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. And uh, we are excited about that. Uh, hopefully soon we'll have some announcements about some show swag, maybe. Uh, there was a, I told my kids that there was a rumor about a common good fedora. And they got super excited. And they're like, are you going to wear it? I said, no, no, that's for Ian. So I can still wear it. it you wear the fedora a lot better than I do. It's just because I do it all the time. Really? When did you start the fedora? I've always wondered this. It was October 6, 1997, <laughs> Brian. I remember it well. I don't know. I'm not... Like, were you fedora in college? No. No? Uh, a year I'm... ago? Couldn't tell you. I have no really? idea. Really? Yeah. No, okay. no clue. I don't. Okay. You're, you're giving me way too much credit in terms of any strategic planning regarding So there wasn't anything. a day where you just went, you know what, I'm going to be fedora guy. You no, know it probably was? It was on quadruple clearance at Target. <laughs> it's almost always... Like tight wad motivated. I'm like two ninety five. All right. Somebody did ask me. They're like, like, what's the thought process? Why do you always wear hoodies? I'm like, because I like hoodies and I have a bunch of them. Like there never was like, you know what I'm gonna be? Ooh, snap! I'm gonna be a hooded sweatshirt guy or hoodie. I mean, guy. it's most of the reason I have a beard. I just stopped shaving accidentally. When is the last time in your life you did not have a beard? Where you were clean shaven, no beard, no mustache, clean shaven? When was the last time? Uh, if you had to guess, if you had to guess, uh, seventeen years ago. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. At that age, there's not no chance I could have grown a beard. I still cannot grow a beard. No? No. That'll be really bad. Well, it'll go well with your fedora. <laughs> they do kind of go head to head. So uh, I usually start my day watching uh, ESPN, and there was a, a uh, story that was getting bounced around on all of the shows, and I would uh, love your opinion. On. From your home shows. state, Michigan, Michigan right. State. That's right. Are you more of a University of Michigan guy, you said, though, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Michigan State, they have now hired a new football coach. So their old football coach, Mark D'Antoni, uh, left. Uh, interestingly, he left less than a week after his four-plus-million-dollar bonus kicked in. and so, But he left, and they hired a former grad assistant who was the University of Colorado head coach by the name of Mel Tucker. Some people out here might remember him. He used to be on the staff of the Chicago Bears. Uh, Tucker signed a six-year contract with the Spartans which was formally approved by the university's board late Wednesday afternoon, which is worth approximately $30 million. And so file that away. He's at the University of Colorado for one year. And on Saturday, when there were rumors about Michigan State coming after him, uh, Mel Tucker, 
he went to Twitter and he said, I'm staying at Colorado. Like he definitively declared it. Uh, uh, there was a quote from him a couple months ago where he made uh, reference to, to players transferring and how that's a bad idea that, that you should never take a kid who's transferring underneath all of this. Remember college football players don't get any money. Uh, so you might be asking, well, then why did Mel, Mel Tucker jump? Most people believe Mel Tucker jumped to Michigan state because they doubled his salary hmm. from what he was making in Colorado. So here's the debate. And I want you to weigh in on this. Uh, is this just an adult taking a job that doubled his salary and we would all do this? Or is this a guy to look down upon because he didn't keep his word to the, to the, to the college kids that he recruited? Uh, those are my only two options. You can, you can nuance it. We need to look down on him or like, (laughs) we'd all do this. Those are the only two lanes. Sure. Those are the only ones I'm giving you. What what are your thoughts on Mel Tucker going to Michigan state? Because there are a lot of people going, uh, I understand why he took the money, but the what you said so definitively to these kids yeah. really sends a bad message. And he's the he's the next one in a long line of college coaches who've done this. Yeah, I would say something like what you just said. It is uh, on one hand understandable, but uh, and I think that this is something that everyone should value: loyalty mm-hmm. and honesty <laughs> and integrity. <laughs> and if you're outright looking at people in the face and saying, "Hey, you have nothing to worry about. I'm not going anywhere." And then the next week they're gone. That's um, not great. And again, I imagine some people listening are like, hey, business is business. Yeah. And the guy's got to go where the paper is. Uh, I don't know. Call me old fashioned. And I'm not, again, I'm not anti salary. I'm not right. anti making a living for yourself. But um, loyalty and integrity and honesty should matter. And I'm again, I'm not calling into question this guy's entire character. Yeah. Maybe, honestly, somebody was advising him in that way. Maybe they knew that uh, he was looking to go anyway, and they said, hey, for you know, the team morale, we need you to still be... Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I've heard this, not to not to make this round turn right away, but uh, in church world, I've heard a number of pastors talk about um, how they thread the needle with regards to how honest they are about the financial health of their church. Interesting. If you, if you paint too grim a picture, then people might freak out, start to bail, but if you paint too rosy a picture, though, then people don't really necessarily see the need for their giving as well. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, a fine line. I just tend to err on the side of like, just be honest, just be honest with the people, be honest with yeah. your leaders, be honest with your team. But, I mean, you know, I maybe that's not always helpful. I don't know. So the world of college football, right? Like if he said, yeah, I'm thinking about leaving and then didn't leave, you could lose some recruits. But uh-huh. Drew right. Pearson, famously of the Dallas Cowboys, a, a star receiver for them in the 1970s, his grandson is at Colorado right now. And Pearson went on uh, onto Twitter and said, I've lost all respect for this guy. Mm-hmm. I couldn't be angrier. Because you do get these players who have said, let's be honest, most of the big-time college football players don't choose – their school based on the academics. They're choosing it based on the coach. Right. This is big time college football. I'm more talking. Um, but like we said, this happens all the time. Nick Saban famously uh, said something in a press conference, like I'm not going anywhere. And then was gone two days later. Yeah. <laughs> and it was uh, Bobby Petrino, these types of people. Yeah. That just rubs me the wrong way. To be what, honest. What are your thoughts about college football players getting paid? Oh, hey, it's clearly gosh. a big business. This guy just made $30 million for yeah. six years. Right. Off the backs of these kids. But yet, uh, it does open up a can of worms. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? What's the can of worms? 
Um, how do you pay them? Who's paying them? How much are you allowed to pay them? Sure. Could, does every school have to pay the same amount or else can the big schools pay more and therefore get the better players, which they're already getting now? Right. That's um, well, and, and, uh, it cuts away at amateurism, all this kind sure. of stuff. I think they should get paid in – I think it's more nuanced. You can just don't throw all the money you can at them. Right. But there's got to be a structure in which these kids can get paid. Well, they can get on endorsements, can't they? They cannot. There's now the court case just – Making its way about likeness, where they might be able to start getting money, but I don't think. Oh, that I thought that had already passed. Oh, my bad. I could be wrong. I don't think they're okay. Getting it. I thought they. And could. I love when you go to a college game and a, and someone's wearing the jersey with a number but no name on it, but it's right. always the number of the star player, and you're like, right. huh? How do they all have the star player's number? And yeah. it's like, no, just I've had this one for years. Like, right. <laughs> I'm not so sure. Uh, that you have well, based on how you asked the question, I'm assuming the uh, the notion of a coach making thirty million dollars. I think the phrase you used was on the backs of. You, <laughs> I did say you, that. You, so I'm guessing then that you think that students should, in some way, be compensated. Yeah, and I don't think it should be like the Wild West where they're just making any, all the money they want. Ooh, and that'd throwing, be fun, though, wouldn't yeah. it? And boosters are throwing money at them. But I do think people are smart enough to get in a room and figure out how. I mean, there's famously stories, right? The Fab Five, University of Michigan, right, in their book, right. famously walking down a street in Chicago when they were about to play a game there, looking into the Nike store. Remember, that Nike mm-hmm. store is still right there on Michigan Avenue. Right. And in the window is Michigan stuff, just all Fab Five stuff. And Chris Weber, that's when he said he decided to go pro early because they, at that moment, they didn't have enough money to buy food. Wow. Like, they did, like you know, they get this little stipend or whatever, but they're right, walking around right. Chicago. Like, there's got to be some... I mean, that is a multi, multi-billion dollar oh, industry. Yeah. And yeah. so there's got to be something that can be done. But it I just do seems th- really corruptible, too, though. Oh, yeah. Like that, that to me is – that's obviously – I'm not smart enough to figure that out at me all. It just either. seems really, really tricky. I like to start all sentences with, I'm not smart enough to – That's how I open every sermon, there. actually. Every sermon. I'm not smart enough to be up I'm here. Open in prayer and then make our weekly declaration of <laughs> – my lack of intelligence before we, before we begin. Before we go. And that's the only time I got an amen. It was just, really weird. Right. Yeah, just set expectations. Man. It was really strange. Well, coming up next, an interesting article out of the Chicago Tribune uh, about active shooter drills in schools causing great harm and, ident- and uh, anxiety uh, in students. We're going to talk about that story next out of the Chicago Tribune. Coming up here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. With Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, and online at 1160hope.com. Uh, uh, Thursday night, isn't that usually uh, date night for you? Mm-hmm. Are you going on a date tonight, or is this going to be uh, where the kids have gone crazy, let's order pizza, which is also really fun? Well, it's tricky with Valentine's Day, too, and all that stuff. So oh, we're, I, knew that, I knew that was coming. <laughs> uh, Brian. Man, I'm a procrastinator on a lot of things. For whatever reason, Valentine's Day is not one of them. Really? I don't know why. I'm, so, I, please hear me. I procrastinate on a lot yes. of important stuff. So no one's listening. What did you do for Valentine's Day? I'm just kidding. So do you go all that's, out? That's not nice. Plan a date, gifts? Are you a... My wife is about quality time, man. So it, okay. it is less about, and I'm learning this slowly but surely, it is much less about like big grand gestures uh. and horse-drawn carriages, like a nice, unique restaurant somewhere where it's just the two of us. And so like last year, we uh, I found this play. It was a speakeasy, actually. So it was I a remember s- secret entrance with the book thing. It opens up and there's a live jazz band and I got us... Like the best seats in the house. It was like this raised 
velvet couch seat thing that overlooked the stage, and we like dressed up and. It was so. It was so much fun. It was just fun to spend time together. But yeah, the, and people were like older couples came out to the dance floor and were like dancing to these like old timey big really? bands. Oh my gosh, it was magical. It was great. Well, this year could I get you to a place they call Chili's? I've I've, <laughs> I've heard. I've heard because I worked there. So no, I will not be going to Chili's earlier this week. Ian went in on Chili's a little bit. That was a. Uh... I just was admitting that someone had gotten us a gift card. Katie yeah. and I went, and both of us were like. Is this worse than normal, or did our taste change? They both were <laughs> no bueno. It wasn't good. Uh, well, now I have to remember that it's Valentine's Day. <laughs> I'm here to help, Brian. My son, this is going to be really fun. He's on a travel baseball team, right? And they have a they have a tournament this weekend for fun inside the big dome up at Rosemont. Ooh. But the first games are on Valentine's Day. So yeah, my right. wife and I have been, but I'm very interested. I'm like trying to picture how this is going to go. Like it's an inside tournament. It'll be fun. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, so Why not? that's this weekend, and uh, I'll tell my wife I love her while we're sitting in some stands, probably right there. <laughs> Gosh, you, you treat her so good, Brian. I, I tell you, I went to Mexico. <laughs> A couple of times, yeah. yeah. So out of the Chicago Tribune, something we've touched on before, uh, but this caught my eye. Critics warn that school shooter drills may be doing more harm than good. Uh, They're becoming more perverse and obscene. Let me read this. Since last year, every school in Illinois has been required by law to conduct active shooter drills to prepare students for potential violence. But two national teacher unions are calling for an end to the practice of simulating violence during such drills because of the potentially harmful effects they can have on the mental health of students and teachers. The Mm -hmm. American Federation of Teachers and the National Education Association along with the anti-violence group Every Town for Gun Safety, said they want to end, quote, simulations that mimic an actual incident of gun violence during school safety drills. A paper jointly released Tuesday by the groups questions the benefits of involving students in active shooter drills at all and advises that if children do participate, the drills should be announced beforehand, age-appropriate, and designed to minimize trauma. Uh, Shannon Watts, founder of gun violence prevention group Moms Demand Action, said they're becoming more perverse and obscene, hiring strangers to wear masks and rattle the doors of classrooms without letting students or faculty know. Uh, the more we've learned, the more clear it is that we have to change the way we're conducting this. So I've got kids in the in the um, public schools, and I remember when my daughter Madeline, who's now in high school, when she was in, I think, kindergarten, first grade, first grade. Uh, I remember her coming home from school and telling us that they did like, you know, in her first grade description, did it act and we figured out it was an active shooter drill and you didn't know that was happening. Nope. And I remember being somewhat thankful that they did it and heartbroken that they did it. Mm. Oh my gosh. But But not mad. Anger wasn't one of the, mm -mm. Mm. but I have heard this, that they are getting weirdly realistic. Yeah, some of them will like shoot rubber bullets and stuff at teachers. Yeah, and I don't know the thought. Hmm, I, I suppose the thought process behind it is to be as prepared as possible. Yeah, but I don't know how you don't see the other side of this—that this is going to be really traumatic yeah. for not just the kids but the teachers as well. Right, and that there there is probably a line of diminishing return where the preparedness uh, is gets trumped by the trauma. Uh, that did always strike me as odd. I remember one of my kids being like, I, they, they were telling us about the drill. I was like, did you know what was happening? And they're like, no. I'm like, it's one thing for a fire drill. You remember when you were a kid and they would pull, you know, there'd be a fire drill and you're like, oh, hey, we get to go outside because it's a fire drill. And you kind of knew. But again, this, I was homeschooled. So oh, I don't sorry. Know this, <laughs> this active shooter drill, while unfortunately necessary on some level to be prepared in yeah. this culture we live in. Yeah. Making it realistic feels 
it really cuts against a lot of what we probably often do in schools. That's why it surprises me. Well, and I will, I mean, give credit where credit is due. They're making these changes because they're finding that these things are actually having uh, negative, greater negative effects than they're anticipating. I'm trying to think, though, of any other environment where we would think this is a good idea. Like, honestly, quietly, I've, I've sort of always felt this way, but thought, all right, I'm not, uh, I'm not a teacher. Uh, I don't own a gun. So there's, there's a big part of this. Like maybe I'm just out over my skis on this one. And there's all sorts of research and data to support. Yeah. You want to reenact these things as realistically as possible. So that if, and when unfortunately, you know, tragically it does happen there, yeah. they have the most tools in their tool belt to uh, navigate safety. Um, but like we would never, like I'm trying to imagine this is a dumb example, but I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, could you ever imagine the government proposing, like, Hey, we've invented this truck that will drive along the freeways and, um, we're going to find young drivers and we're going to scoop it up. And so they can simulate uh, being in a rollover accident oh, gosh. just so that they, but they'll, they'll be safe. Like right. our truck will like have their car in some sort of be terrifying. grip. It'll freak them out, but it will prepare them for when they, you know, are in a rollover accident in the future. Like we would know that would be traumatizing. Like that yes. would, and then we're talking 16, 17 year olds. I, it is a little insane to me. And again, this is based on like very little research. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure that yeah. there's there are people that could educate me on why for so long so many people have thought this was a good idea. But when you think of like kid, you know, your daughter, kindergarten, first grade, yeah, like my goodness, I'd be curious to know: Have you talked about that at all with her since? Like, has that no, been a thing at all that has been brought back not up? With or? Any of my kids? No. no. Um, yeah, no, we haven't. I do always. It does always strike me as odd, though. It does always yeah. strike me that there's in this Chicago Tribune article, there are some great quotes from various school district people. Uh, Ken Wallace, superintendent of Maine Township High School District 207, said the issues raised in the new report aren't new. He acknowledged that he, too, has concerned about the psychological impact that active shooter drills have on students and staff. He says, I've seen the anxiety this can cause firsthand. It's the most unfortunate thing we do now in schools, and I don't have a perfect answer for it. Later on, Robert Lopez, executive director of crisis intervention and safety at Waukegan Community Unit School District 60, said he helps run drills at more than 20 buildings, including elementary and middle schools. Here's what I like. Listen what they do there. The district provides online training beforehand to teachers to inform students before the exercise and will also send a letter home with parents after it's completed. Like that. So my thing is, I still want them to do the active shooter drill. Like I want there to be preparedness, but with some common sense that feels like we're not going to traumatize you through the practice. Right. The same way we do fire drills without starting a fire. Uh, you know, like we can simulate that in some yeah, way. But like, if somebody, what if somebody made the case that the, the sound of that bell was traumatizing to them? And now every time they hear that bell, there's, I mean, so, I mean, based on that definition, somebody does yeah. it. Uh, I had a kid who was, who was very scared when they were younger of mm. the fire drill for that reason. Mm. Um, uh, one more point about this state Senator Julie Morrison, a Deerfield Democrat and sponsor of the legislation requiring schools to conduct annual active shooter drills. Uh, said the law is necessary, but interestingly, said the law does not specify how districts should run the drills. That's left up to the schools and police agencies planning the exercises. Morrison said that while she hasn't heard about drills that include traumatizing sim- simulations or theatrics, parents who have concerns should contact their local uh, administrators. And so uh, it sounds like it's still very it's a it's a it's a law that's still very much in flux. People trying to figure out, and it makes me sad that this is a realization of the world that we live in, that when 
you know, to be quite honest, when my kids are at school and I hear like two or three police cars just doing normal, my anxiety goes up. Yeah, I get that. My anxiety goes up. And that's really a sad state. I doubt my parents felt that way. You know, when I was in school, it's just one more reason to move to the mountains. Uh, Exactly. Back to your Amishness. (laughs) My Uh, Amishness. But hopefully out there, the the schools do uh, give it a lot of thought to uh, how these practices can be done well. So you can find that article at the Chicago Tribune. We'll put it up uh, on our Facebook page. We would love to uh, know your thoughts. Well, coming up next, Uh, Christians in the Age of Call-Out Culture, an article of Christianity Today that we're going to discuss here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The uh, Common Good on AM 1160. I forgot the name of our show. (laughs) We've all been there. I just looked over and you were like face down on the on the desk. I was like, oh, I hope he's okay. Yeah, I was trying to get out of the way so you could see producer John uh, behind me. I was trying to be okay. helpful. And then I, I got confused and then I blanked on the name of our show. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good on uh, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Did you hear this is also a radio show? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's a podcast. It's a radio show. It's your friend. <laughs> Soon to be a YouTube channel. Are you just speaking that into existence, or is mm-hmm. that actually happening? We should do that. Well, we're we're on our way. We're getting there. We are. It's this just, is news to me. What? Oh, sorry. I spoke too soon. I'm happy about this, though. It's something that I'm learning that a lot of the kids consume like podcasts and radio stuff via YouTube, which I never do at all. I would all. never think to like one of the beauty. One of the things I like about podcasts is being able to have them on my phone and like. Listen then, to him while then, I'm doing it. And then things. navigate away from it. Exactly. That's my whole point. And but so it's really popular to you, watch it on YouTube. To watch a podcast. Uh-huh. Fascinating. Just what, like a static shot of you what, and I in the studio. What these kids are doing these I'm, days. I'm man. telling you, man. <laughs> Blows my mind. What these we kids can put a man doing. on the moon. I don't know what the rest of it would be. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show, Twitter at Common Good Talk, online eleven sixty hope, YouTube, not yet, but maybe coming. But you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, you go ahead and subscri- subscribe, rate, and review. We're grateful for those of you who do that. Uh, Kate Shellnut, who uh, we've discussed her writing before. She's phenomenal. Really good writer. Uh, does she write exclusively for Christianity Today or often? I'm not sure. I don't know. Uh, but we have found her multiple times through Christianity Today. Oh, there she is, senior news editor at Christianity Today. So. Uh, Kate Shelnut wrote an article called Christians in the Age of Callout Culture. Christians in the Age of Callout Culture. Let me read the beginning of this. She writes, I used to get excited to see my Twitter mention spike. Now I dread it. All that attention inevitably means I'm getting called out for something wrong. Maybe mm. a typo or a broken link. Maybe a bad joke or a hasty observation. Posting on social media has always risked irking angry employers, incessant trolls, or vengeful doxers. I don't know what doxers are. But <laughs> lately, we face backlash from our own friends and feeds. The bar for what merits a public reckoning has fallen as the internet incentivizes us to speak up, call out, and shout down. Last December, the Atlantic deemed it the, quote, dark psychology of social networks. Noting studies that found tweets using heated language like wrong and shameful were 20% more likely to go viral. Facebook posts professing indignant disagreement got about twice as many likes and shares. Yeah. Being on the receiving end of a barrage of negative feedback can ruin your day, your year, or your career. Any defense, explanation, or apology could rile up further condemnation. 
This critical attitude dampens our dialogue and betrays a cynical attitude toward our digital brothers and sisters. So before she gets into what, how we as Christians should live in this kind of culture, is that uh, do you think she describes uh, social media well there? Yeah, I do. I do for sure. Does it surprise you? 20% more if it uses words like wrong or shameful or on Facebook, twice as many likes with indignant disagreement. What is that? Mob mentality? Is that... Uh, mm. I don't know what that is. I think it's, uh, you remember the old, the old adage, if it bleeds, it leads. <laughs> now that you say that, yes. Yeah, because you have a broadcast background a little bit, don't little you? Bit. A little bit. Yeah. yeah, I remember us being taught that in community college when I was you know, learning a little bit about radio and saying, hey, uh, headlines with really good news don't gain traction at all. Mm. You need the like dark, the bloody, the they're like, hey, it's an unfortunate reality. And I think we're sort of seeing that played out in a social media context where, if I just posted it on your wall, Brian, great job. You did a great job today, and I'm proud of you, and I'm grateful for you. Like, that would not... I can't imagine that getting a whole lot of interaction, but... I'd like it. You... <laughs> I didn't like... Well, shame on me maybe, for not doing that maybe yet. Maybe even the love I did that with. Yeah, no, well, I totally get what you're saying. And maybe that's not totally true, I think, but by and large, none of those percentages. I think the way that she described it actually was very, very real. It's a lot of how I feel, too, with, you know, the... Um, the when she sees mention spike, I don't see mention spike in general, but I can understand... How that might feel like, uh, oh, no, I've clearly messed up that like constant fear that somebody is calling you out, even if it's not something philosophical, it's just like, hey, the link you shared doesn't work. That can still, especially for like an Enneagram three, if you if you're made to look like an idiot, that can be uh, really, really overwhelming and I never discouraging. Felt, I never felt like that with like, and still don't with like my personal stuff because I don't get enough interaction. In yeah. that. But ever since we started a uh, a um, a show page, yeah, uh, and there's people are commenting all the time. Sometimes I do get a little anxious when I open up, and I'm like, oh, what do oh, people no. say? Today? It's never about us. It's always about an article we did. Yeah, but sometimes they get tense and they go back and forth. And some people love that. I'm not of the personality that right. loves that. That doesn't fire you up. So sometimes I'm like. Oh, it says nine up there. What happened? Let's see. And then you go, or it says like nine plus, and you're like, oh, oh no. what happened? But you go right to, oh, that's, see, I think that's telling. I don't think it always yeah, was that way. I'm so, you know this, I'm so non-confrontational that even seeing other people's confrontation with each other online <laughs> gives me anxiety. So. But you still go look at it, though. That's interesting. You it could is. just choose not to look at it. Nah, some days, some days. <laughs> so here's what she says, because she wants to turn this towards how do we live in this sort of culture as Christians? She says, in a community of believers, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's 1 Corinthians 13, 7. In short, we hope for the best and forgive one another quickly when others inevitably fall short. Yet even among Christians, today's online chatter is far less believes all things and far more show us the receipts. Oh, snap. It can seem harsh and ungracious for commenters to go after a single misworded tweet or poorly formed idea. Why so suspicious from the get-go? Why not give someone the benefit of the doubt? But we must also remember the broader context for this chatter. Christians are sadly learning their lesson for what happens when bad actors get the benefit of the doubt. Mm. There are hundreds of stories of abuse, racism, fraud, manipulation, correct, corruption, sexism, and other unbiblical offenses that have come to light in just the past few years, often thanks to online whistleblowers. Right, that's a good point. So that's a good thing yeah. uh, that she says. But then she tries to get into uh, how should we as Christians be... Uh, dealing with this this trend to just call people out and point things out and go negative. So what do you think about that question as a pastor and as somebody who has an online presence? 
should how should Christians look different online, particularly in this subject? Yeah, see, I'm I'm really torn on this one too because benefit of the doubt is a big thing for me, mm-hmm. um, and it probably disproportionately hurts me when like people that are closest to me assume negative intent or negative mm-hmm. motive. You know, if like if there if it was uh, unclear if he meant this or this to assume the worst possible mm-hmm. posture, that I find that very it's hard it's hard for me to recover from that. Like that's and again, I'm saying it's disproportionate. I'm saying I let that affect me probably too much on the other hand and we've talked about a lot of the fake news stuff and fake news sharing and uh, the fact that a lot of times we're sharing stuff without even reading the full article or you know uh, researching the source christians do need to be discerning but i I think part of what she's getting at i think and i think this is important is you can be discerning of the accuracy of content without being mean like you can still you can still say hey that actually that story was disproven or those facts are misconstrued. Mm-hmm. You could do that without it being like a mic drop clapback moment. And I think part of what's at play is the clapbacks get the biggest cheers. Mm. So it has to really be about like, am I looking to knock this person down or wrong? Or am I more interested in making sure that like accurate information is out there in the internet yeah. world? And I think that's a telling question. We rarely, uh, a good way, another way to put it is we're rarely fighting the message as much as we're kind of killing the messenger. Yeah. Or, well, even when the message is wrong, to- it right. should be called out. Totally. We instead go to the messenger uh, in that. Let me just read how she closes uh, because I think she does it well. Uh, the body of Christ is directed to live out the call to believe all things and be wise as serpents, to be a model of loving, truth-seeking community, even online. Hmm. But we will not restore trust by shouting at or shaming the voices who push back or rush to judgment. We will only do it by offering a steady, faithful witness over time, living our lives and filling our feeds in a way that proves that we can be trusted. What do you think of that end? I think that's great. I mean, one of the yeah. things that um, I always try to say is that when when confronting someone, do you come with a uh, an axe or a scalpel? They both mm. cut, but only one cuts to heal. You know what I mean? Like so, it's sometimes really like if you say if you post something, Brian, just as my friend, yep. that it seems really inflammatory, and unhelpful. Um, if I wanted to say something to you about that, is my motive to make sure everyone sees that, like, oh man, he didn't put Brian in his place, or is it right. like, hey, there's this thing that seems really unhelpful or toxic, or maybe not good, you know, for your leadership or whatever, like that. Asking that question can be really telling, and I think um, what she's identifying here, I love the way they're quoting uh, Sharon Miller in her book, Nice. It says, uh, Jesus understood the difference between graciousness and personal compromise, between speaking truth and needlessly alienating people. Mm. Sometimes the general sentiment is, I'm just speaking the truth. Yes. And if they don't want to be my friend anymore, then so be it. You're like, well, no, there's a, there's a whole other. Jesus doesn't just simply tell us yeah. to go after the truth. He also tells us the, the way that we're to live that out. And I think that's, that's just as important. Uh, so another great article written by Kate Shellnut, Christians in the Age of Call-Out Culture at ChristianityToday.com. You can find this. Uh, on our Facebook page. Well, coming up next, we're going to end the show the way we always do. Uh, Interweb insanity, crazy stories from the internet. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church 
actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to, to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality was just their heart to give back to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously to be wise with money and live generously and that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them and so if you're interested in learning more I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today here's some weird stuff we found on the internet here's some more weird stuff we found on the web well, that music can only mean one thing. That can only mean the end of the show. Interweb Insanity, where we read stories that were given to us by uh, PJ over there, producer John, and by... Who got his own hoodie. With he did. He did. Producer John. Before we did. It seems like everyone did, I know. So I passed a guy in the street in a comic good sweatshirt. I was like, what? Uh, also, our executive producer, Keith Conrad, probably also has the hoodie. Uh, he does these. John, who, who, uh, who primarily did these today? Uh, these are all Keith. Whoa. Yeah. Tomorrow will be me. Oh, I'll boy. warn you 24 hours in advance. I appreciate okay. that. <laughs> okay. okay. Who, who do you think is, at this point, um, typically uh, more dark, Keith, Keith or John? Keith. Keith? Keith, uh, I think he feels like uh, he can he can push the envelope a little more than John. John's growing and pushing of the envelope. Mm. He might pass him at some point. Mm, my but. complacency has increased with content. It's uh, complacent. I don't think uh, you're supposed to admit things like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my my desire and care is dwindling. Yes. Oh, point. I don't, right I don't care anymore. Yeah. Right this is a now. pre-recorded role of me just giving responses. <laughs> Our producer saying he doesn't care as much. Okay. <laughs> All righty, you go first, Pennsylvania. All right, Pennsylvania. Burglar called woman from inside her house. Huh. Isn't that like how the Scream movies went? Yes. The calls <laughs> coming from inside the house. Scream, uh, by the way, terrified me when that first I've came out. I've never seen it. Oh, I remember the masks. Yes, the mask was terrifying. It was kind of scary, actually. Yes. Well done. I don't scream do well with scary movies, but scream. That does not surprise me. I, that one, yes. Anyway, sorry, keep going. We should do a live broadcast from a scary movie. No. That'd be fun. Nope. All nope. Right. Nope. We'll pray about it. Uh, an Altoona <laughs> man. <laughs> Altoona man was arrested. Altoona? Am I, I saying that right? the name Altoona, yes. <laughs> Altoona. You can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. <laughs> An Altoona man was arrested early Sunday after police say he called and texted a woman while he was burglarizing her home. What? John E. Farabow. Farabow? Looks right. 54 was found inside the home on the 3200 block of 7th Avenue after Altoona police responded at about 1 a.m. Sunday, according to the charges. The woman called 911 after receiving phone calls and text messages from Farabao in which he told her he had broken into her home. She was not home, according to the charges, and she told police she and her friends were giving Farabao a ride home from a local veterans club that night when he opened the door and got out of the moving vehicle near her home. What? It was a weird story. <laughs> Police said the door to the woman's house had been kicked in and Farabao allegedly had baseball cards and drill bits and attachments he had weird. taken from the home. Farabao also sent messages to the woman to tell her he knew how to hotwire a car and was going to steal her vehicle. Police noted. Ahoy, ahoy. No, you have the wrong number. This is 5246. I suspect you need more practice working your telephone machine. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that sounds like Keith. That's a strange story. It's a really weird really story. story. Ohio. Taco Bell apologizes after sign appears at restaurant calling out workers for showing up late. Oh, no. This boss really doesn't like it when people show up late. And residents in Fairlawn, Ohio, were greeted to an unexpected sight at their local Taco Bell. According to a sign posted at the restaurant, the dining room had been closed because too many workers were showing up late for their shifts. 
Paula Duhon Boss posted to her Facebook page a photo of the sign which read, Dining room is closed until this store's workers can show up to work on time. We will happily serve you through the drive-thru as quickly as possible. We're very sorry oh, for the inconvenience. Gosh. Yo quiero taco, man. Yeah, I, I can see that, that one coming. That's yep. a little passive-aggressive, isn't it? Yeah. All right, Maine. Man arrested, charged with OUI after caught riding lawnmower. Hmm. Augusta police shared this photo on their Facebook page. Uh, it shows... That's the typo, right? Two police cruisers pulled up mm-hmm. behind a lawnmower on the side of the road. Police say the man that had been riding the lawnmower was arrested and charged with an OUI. Police say in the post, while it's actually not uncommon to make an arrest on a lawnmower for an OUI, rarely do they see cases <laughs> like this in the winter. Aren't you going too fast? Oh, it's not the speed really so much. Uh, I just wish I hadn't drunk all that cough syrup this oh morning, you know? <laughs> Oh, I like that they funny. say it's not uncommon to make a rest on a lawnmower. Yeah, that is in the summertime. Str- but still, that's strange weird. to me. Yeah. Michigan, America's high five. Mm-hmm. Man charged after putting up mailbox, moving it into someone else's house. Wait, what? I don't. Ma- Metro Detro- Detroit man has been arrested after police discovered he moved into another person's seasonal home <laughs> in northern Michigan, according to Charlevoix County Sheriff's Office. Jeffrey Donias, 55, of Shelby Township, moved the property owner's belongings out of their house <laughs> and moved his stuff in, what? changed the locks, and even put a new mailbox no. up. He may have been casing other properties both in and outside of the county, according to the sheriff's office. Some stolen property was recovered. Donius is charged with home invasion. He is lodged in the Charlevoix County Jail on a $50,000 bond. When you control the mail, <laughs> you control information. That's good. This is this is uh, shaping up to be a pretty good interweb this insanity. Is a good one. All right, this is another weird photo. Washington State driver caught using carpool lanes with stuffed dinosaur passenger. A Washington State driver is facing a hefty fine after being caught using a highway carpool lane with a giant stuffed dinosaur as their only passenger. Trooper Rick Johnson of the Washington State Patrol said a driver was pulled over Wednesday for speeding in the high occupancy vehicle lanes of the Interstate, Interstate 5 northbound. The trooper conducting the traffic stop quickly discovered the driver's only passenger was a big green stuffed dinosaur toy. They're moving in herds. <laughs> they do move in they herds. They do move in herds. <laughs> Have you what? seen the version of that where it's no. him saying that line and then it cuts to the dinosaurs, but it's the recorder version? No. Of the, <laughs> it's, we'll watch it once the show's done. That's really funny. That's really, Those are good ones. Well done, Keith. Well done. John, the bar is high for tomorrow. The bar is high. Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay. He did admit to being complacent. He did. Just, uh, we're I'm, we're I'm gonna just, see how this goes tomorrow. I'm just glad he's still conscious. Yeah. We're gonna see. We're gonna see. Anyway, glad you join us. Join us tomorrow from four to six PM for Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to the Common Good. AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life.